Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we are continuing our conversation that began last week where Megan and I discussed all the things that we do not know about <laughs> embodiment practices. And if you don't know what embodiment means, uh, we will get to that in the day's podcast episode. But we have a guest with us who I felt would be much more expert in this field that could lend a shining light onto all of the questions that we so randomly asked last week. Because this podcast is not about questions. It should be an exchange, <laughs> a dialogue. And while I'm sure our listeners love the dialogue of our unanswered questions to one another and all of the times our voice go up at the end instead of down like we actually know, I feel like bringing in Megan Amston today will be such a <laughs> breath of fresh air to our listeners to actually have someone who is grounded and understands some of these principles and is practicing them in her own life. So my sister-in-law, Megan Amston, is here joining us on today's episode. Hi, Meg. Hi, thanks for having me on, you two. Going to get a little confusing with all the Meg and the Megans and the Deidres and the Amsdens, but we'll give it a go. All right, so from here out, you are Meg for the rest of the episode, and I am Megan, so for anyone who's listening. And that's how it is every time we get together so that it's not confusing. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So, Meg, we invited you for a couple of reasons. First of all, you serve on our nonprofit board. So you've been in the background for Dauntless Grace for about two years now, maybe a little bit more. Correct. And uh, we've done some retreats together. You're going to be in Colorado with us in just a week from I can't uh, this wait airing. for Colorado. Woohoo! <laughs> no, I'm so excited. And so, as we've been preparing for the retreat there, we've had some conversations about the concept of um, embodiment practices. But before we really dig into that, I want you just to talk a little bit about who you are because you're my sister-in-law, but that only tells the listeners so much. They don't know my family always. And tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Oh my goodness. All those good things. The question that somebody that's not a doctor hates, right? I'm not not here in our Don't don't tell me who you are. (laughs) Don't tell me what you do. Tell me what you love. (laughs) Oh, what I love. Um... Oh gosh, what do I love? I love that first moment of quiet in the morning when I am awake before anyone else is awake Mm. and the stillness of the morning and that hot cup of coffee and um, just tuning in, you know, grabbing the Bible, grabbing the book, whatever it is that I'm reading that day. I love, I love that. That moment, that first moment of the day centers me. So when you ask what I love, that was the first thing that came to mind. Quiet, because then the rest of the day starts and there's zero quiet. I'm a mama of three boys and um, they're 11, 8, and 4. And so quiet is pretty much non-existent the rest of the day. (laughs) I imagine. And yeah. Your husband's not exactly quiet himself. So no, we, no, we come from loud. a loud clan. Quite loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't no. think I've ever been the first one awake in my family unless I had to like leave for work. Oh, <laughs> it's it's a precious moment, Megan. <laughs> I enjoy sleeping. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about uh, your certification to become a yoga instructor? I don't know. Actually yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Technically I'm a 
200 hour certified yoga teacher, teacher. Um, is my official credential. Um, but I actually think, you know, I could tell you all the reasons why I'm not qualified to speak, right? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a neurologist. You know, it's, it's easy. I'm in any, I'm in Enneagram one. So let's put that out there. So you're um, telling so, us all the ways you've disqualified yourself yes. from being perfect at as the perfect guest here. Okay, exactly. Good. That's exactly. done with. Now move yeah, on. So now that we get that out of the way, but I think the things that that do qualify me are that I have been a pr- practitioner for quite a long time, even before I discovered yoga and embarked on that journey of teacher training and becoming certified. I have a background in theater and theater is very, very much about your body is your instrument. And so a lot of my, you know, undergrad theater training degree had to do with um, voice and speech training so that, you know, as an actor, you can facilitate and be a facilitator for the story, the words that you're saying, the dialogue of the characters. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where I first began exploring, like, wow, my body is an instrument and how do I tune in? And there was so much focus and time set aside to really explore that in crazy theater styles with a bunch of other people who are, you know, kind of crazy and don't mind doing (laughs) weird stuff and exploring. So it was also just a safe environment to be able to play. Um, So I've got, I've got kind of that underneath. Um, And then as I discovered um, yoga, oh my word, then, then that whole world opened up to me. And I, I felt like by discovering my breath um, that I really was just meeting with God in a way that I had never met with him. And the very first time I stepped foot into a yoga class and, you know, had my head on the mat, we're laying in a child's pose. it, It was like, you're in a holy place. This is holy because I'm here and I'm holy. And then just from there on out, I was, I was hooked, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. I love yeah. That. Um, the reason we want to have this discussion is not so much about yoga or, or theater or physical health even <laughs> sure. necessarily that like we're not a health and wellness podcast by any, by any means, mm-hmm. but, um, we talk a lot about renewing our mind because a lot of the stories that we live out as people, whether Christian or not, uh, has a lot more to do with experience of our past, whether that's hurts, pleasures, pain, rejection, betrayal, whatever, that shape how we are coming in to whatever moment we're in today. And we don't understand how much neurobiology is happening in those moments when we're reacting or responding or feeling, um, how much of that is informed from other things that we've experienced. Right. And so Mm. what I'm finding is as a church culture, we have focused a lot of years on renewing the mind by memorizing scripture, repeating it out loud. uh, I said last week, it's kind of the equivalent. It's like the Christian equivalent of if you put good thoughts out there, good things will come to you. So if you, Mm -hmm. if you say something filled with faith and filled with the word of God, then that is out in the universe. And somehow that will be given back Mm -hmm. to you. And I don't completely disagree with some of those sentiments, except that we cannot just renew our mind with different words or different thoughts as though an incantation of that somehow rewires everything. And so recently what Megan and I have been talking about (laughs) is how we are not just a brain on a stick. Like our bodies are part of what needs the rewiring as well. The way that our body remembers, the way that our Mm. body um, feels emotion, the way that our body encapsulates 
things that are happening. So for we're kind of like, oh, if we just get the thinking right, the body will respond instead of realizing that nine for what, what did Dr. Hillary McBride say for every one thing that the brain sends down every message for every one of those nine mm-hmm. messages from the body are being sent to the brain. Mm-hmm. So we're ignoring our body as Christians because somehow yeah. we think that's holier because it's like this weird flesh, flesh. that is sinful. Um, mm-hmm. And so by disregarding that though, we're kind of cutting ourselves off the knees to actually have the full renewal of the mind. So we thought maybe there was some, something to explore here. You know, I just have some curiosity about it. What are your mm. thoughts on that? How does that play into your <laughs> spiritual walk? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I agree wholeheartedly. I think especially in Western culture, Western Christian culture as women, um, I mean, there are a multitude of messages that we receive regarding our, bo- our bodies. And most of them are not about um, beholding it as holy <laughs> or yeah. lovely. Um, it's the place where we sin. It's the place, it's our flesh, it's dirty and... And um, we don't talk about renewing our body the way we talk about renewing our minds. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, I love what you said. That was a Dr. Hil- Hillary McBride quote about the messaging. Mm-hmm. So that's, I believe what she's referring to is the vagus nerve, yes. which is one of the most important, important nerves of our nervous system, um, which is two part. Um, so there's our parasympathetic nervous system and our sympathetic nervous system. And the vagus nerve is what sort of connects everything from the brain to all of those organs. And it's constantly receiving messages back from the body. Um, but what we learn to do to be proper and to be good or to be appropriate to a situation is to stifle and suppress those things. Mm. And um, learning to even notice where am I stifling? Where am I suppressing? Where am I not feeling is a very good just first step, I think, in exploring all of these things. That's really good. Um, okay, let me go a little more into just the nervous system while we're here, because I think it's a good, a good jumping off point. So the sympathetic nervous system, that is our fight flight, freeze response, um, which is vital, right? It keeps us alive. We can't live without that response. It's necessary. Um, But our parasympathetic nervous system, that is where we rest and that is where we digest. And um, we... I'm using a big, broad, general we here, but again, sort of American Western culture, we are constantly in this hurry, rushed, hustle, go, go, go phase where it's like we never quite make it all the way into that parasympathetic because we're going and we're even, even think about how often you eat on the run or in your car, or you don't just like sit and focus on the food that's going in your mouth. You're maybe on your phone scrolling or reading a news article or responding to an email or, or whatever it may Mm. be. So for us to actually get to that parasympathetic place, um, I think is, is not the norm. I don't think most people are living that way. I certainly wasn't living that way for a very long time. Um, just a little story on myself. You know, my, my husband and I, we lived in Los Angeles for, um, a decade plus. And, you know, that city itself is 
big and bustling and go, go, go. Right. And we were both working full-time jobs and we had two little boys at the time and, you know, kind of decided it was time to make the move back to the Midwest to have green backyards and places near family to, to raise the kids and continue growing our family. And, um, after we had moved back to, you know, Southern Illinois, kind of the Metro St. Louis region, three or four months after we had been here, I took this deep breath. All of a sudden it was like, my breath went all the way down way below my belly. And it was like, Oh my gosh, I finally caught my breath for the first time because I didn't even know I'd been holding my breath the whole time we lived in LA. I mean, metaphorically, right. I wasn't actually holding, but to a certain degree, my breath was always shallow. It it never could get all the way because I was always hustling, always going, always doing. There wasn't a moment to just be like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that actually was a really incredible moment for me to be like, wow, here I am. Here's my breath. Here's, here's this moment that I'm actually present in. Um, so I think for me, I know we want to talk about embodiment, but for me, I feel like that that really starts with the breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are some ways, uh, we can, as very uneducated people who Mm -hmm. don't do yoga, maybe can start just practicing that just in a daily habit. Great what do you question. I recommend stillness. <laughs> right? You're Everyone talking was... to another Enneagram <laughs> one. That's not the answer I want to hear. No, sorry. Give me something I, I can do. And every <laughs> other woman I'm sure listening to this was like, stillness, when do I get that? Early in the morning with your first cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> um, because because we're, we're not still and we mm-hmm. don't stop. And so what happens at first when we try to begin practicing this for most people is we stop and we're like, okay, I'm going to set a timer for two minutes and I'm going to just give this a go, you know? And our mind is like thinking about what we have to do next or that conversation that didn't really go so well with my coworker or that email that I still have to respond, right? Like our minds, which we're talking about our minds, our minds don't necessarily stop. Um, so the more that you practice the sitting, the more that you can gain awareness that when those thoughts come to just almost notice them as, um, I heard a, I don't know who said it now, but almost you see them as clouds passing. So Mm -hmm. you just see the cloud and you let it pass. You don't follow the cloud and wonder where it's going. And so as you kind of, um, see and notice then, then turning inwards helps a little more. I would also even recommend closing your eyes. There's something to be said when you remove, um, this, that sight sense, then sometimes your other senses can heighten. So if you're at a place where you can sit still and close your eyes, then you turn your listening into, to your breath. And pretty soon you'll, you'll, you'll feel that, that, that breathing will begin to lengthen. Um, or you'll work to lengthen it. Maybe that's something I should touch on is, um, yeah. One of the incredible things about our breath is it's both an involuntary, um, part of our, part of our system, right? We don't have to give it conscious thoughts. Um, but we also can give it conscious thoughts. So not okay, all of hold our, on. cause some yeah. of us, get a little claustrophobic when we start thinking about things that should be autonomic. <laughs> uh, so as soon as I tell myself to breathe, breathe, I can't figure out how to breathe and I start uh, getting really tight chested. So sure. I, I need some practices to get out of my own head on 
just telling myself to breathe. Yeah, no, I was doing my like little six minutes yesterday and I was paying attention to something Hillary McBride said in her book about like holding it and then releasing it and then holding it and said something like, we should only be taking some ridiculously low amount of breaths each minute. And I was like, oh, I breathe way more than that when I'm thinking about it. And so I was trying to like mm-hmm. slow my breathing down and then I couldn't breathe. And then I forgot how to breathe. And I couldn't remember which way my stomach was supposed to go yeah. in or out on which part of the breath. <laughs> okay. Thinking about breathing okay. is hard, Meg. All right, guys. All right. Then let's just get I super... I mean, for dummies. For dummies. I need super you to break this down. Breathing practical. for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Step one find a seat. Okay. (laughs) All right. We got that. Get comfortable. And then if you really are like somebody who's extra, find a seat where your hips can be slightly elevated. All right. Mm, Um, so like sitting up on a couple of blankets, like some people would like to roll up blankets or even put a little blanket under them if you're on the couch or something. So just elevating your hips, what that does is it aligns your spine a little bit more properly, mm-hmm. um, so that the breath can get all the way down low in the belly where we want it to go. Okay. So step one, find a seat. Um, <laughs> step two, close your eyes. Step three. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of times when we start thinking about our breath, we breathe in really deep and we go and our shoulders rise all the way up by our ears, like thinking mm-hmm. that that you know, if we lift up our shoulders and we lift up our rib cage that we can fill to a greater capacity. And that is actually not true. So when you are inhaling through your nose, you want to actually expand in your ribs to the side. They're expanding in this direction, horizontally, (laughs) horizontally. I don't think that's a word horizontally. And not vertically. So if you ever feel your shoulders rising, that's actually an indication that your breath is quite shallow in the very high place of your chest. So begin noticing before you start manipulating your breath, notice your breath. Okay. So you want to, you want to see the involuntary system at work before you move into voluntarily controlling it. All right. So where is your breath for most people when they start, it's super shallow. Even for me, when I wake up with my first cup of coffee in the morning and I have a seat, it's like, okay, where's my breath? It's often very high. Um, so then once you've spent a little time, however long that may be for you, just noticing what your breath is doing, then step four is to begin lengthening the breath and evening the breath. So for instance, you're inhaling on a two count and you're exhaling on a two count. And then once you've done your two count a few times and that's slow and steady, then you inhale on a four count and you exhale on a four count. And um, this kind of slow, rhythmic, diaphragmic breathing will stimulate that vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, diaphragm, it's way down in the low belly. People know it because that's where you hiccup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's you're, you're almost trying to get your breath below that, down in just like the lowest regions of your belly, right? <laughs> Having, How are you doing, ladies? How are you doing? I, I'm good. I'm having flashbacks to a lot of singing lessons because we learned to breathe mm-hmm. that way, right? You, you've you got to take yep. that big, deep breath by engaging the diaphragm versus yes. that shoulder, upper, you know, smaller, like, um, passageways that are up in the upper ribs. That's not good breath and won't sustain you for long. So yes. I am remembering these things. Yes. Makes me panic a little less, but I'd be honest, there's some tightness in my chest right now just thinking about it. <laughs> 
All right, you theater geeks. Some of us don't have any training like that. I know. I, know. <laughs> I bet you learned how to punch it out in cheerleading though, right? Didn't you have to like punch out like your oh, vote, yeah. your voice from your diaphragm? Like, so no, we weren't out. very good when I cheered. They like oh. win awards now, but we weren't very good. Okay. But you don't want to scream from your throat. So you would learn how to like punch out from the, the breath of it going out. You didn't learn that. Wow. I was on a really bad cheer team and we learned that. So I don't know who your oh. coach was. <laughs> 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 promise my chair team was smaller and worse than yours. <laughs> I don't know about worse, but <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I'm feeling that a little bit. I got well, you. Do you want another, I could give you like another uh, breathing exercise. Would that be yeah. helpful? Yeah. Do we have to do it right now on the air. Yes. <laughs> You're going to no. do it on the air with me. I'm going to guide you through your breathing exercise. Now this is going to um, be really fun for all the people listening and not watching. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, guys. I'm really animated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, for some people, holding their breath can be very helpful. So um, once you have lengthened the breath, you know, once you've made it to step four, whatever step we were on there, then you can um, fill all the way up. Like you breathe in as long as you possibly can, fill all the way up and hold it. And so you'll feel your body full of all this breath and all this air inside you. And then you take one more tiny little sip, just like through your mouth, tiny little sip, and then keep holding it. So you're like so full, you're about to explode. And then you open your mouth, the whole thing exhales and you'll feel your, you know, your ribs compress, everything kind of comes in again. And then once the exhale has completed, it's like the, the inhale will happen automatically then at that point and just fill you right back up again. So holding the breath can be a beneficial way to kind of tune that in and just feel terrible. your capacity. <laughs> Like, is, is it okay that my default breathing mode is like hyperventilation or? <laughs> well, depends on if you want to be an integrated human being with a mind, body, spirit working in unison. All right. You I'm fine. <laughs> gut, body, instinct types. I know. I know. It's true. And I'm sure it's going to be different. That would be something interesting to touch on. Like, um, for the different Enneagram types, you know, how, how can each type breathe in a way that is beneficial for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's almost more important though, if you're not a gut body instinct, because you need to get more in touch with your body. So these practices Mm. would help, you know, get you more connected there. My theory, my theory is that eights and ones are probably the most connected to their body naturally. And Mm. so it's like a more of a matter of just tuning in. Whereas us fours, fives, and nines who are more naturally disconnected have to really like really sit and think about how to, how to pull that up a little bit, not just tune in, but actually get it working. (laughs) Yeah. Do the listeners know that you guys have started a breathing practice this week? Can we, can we talk, can I interview you and find out how that's going? We, we, I think we briefly touched on it last week. I don't know if we talked about like how we set that up necessarily. I can't remember, but. Yeah. So we decided meditation should be a practice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we started with 30 seconds. We really challenged ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then added hey. 30 seconds each day. And the main thought was less about breathing and more about just stilling all of the yeah. thoughts and the narration. Yeah. And like you said, the to-do list and the reprocessing and re-narrating, you know, conversations and all that. For me though, I was finding it helpful to focus on my breathing And actually, as I'm getting longer minutes there where I'm sitting for longer, even just doing a a little stretch helps me because I can kind of think about breathing into like my neck, you know, bending and feeling that burn Mm -hmm. in a spot. Maybe that's cheating, but it feels like I'm breathing into my muscles and then like releasing some toxin when I do that. Um, Yeah. 
So that's helping me and the time goes by more quickly. And I find like, I'm focused on that, the way my breath is impacting my body and then I'm not thinking. And it's like, it turns off that soundtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Megan? How's it going for you? Yeah. So one of the reasons we decided to do this is based, um, we talked about this last week a little bit. It's based on the sacred Enneagram by Christopher L. Herowitz, where he goes through spiritual disciplines for each Enneagram type. And so for specifically for a one, um, resting in stillness is the spiritual practice most beneficial for a one. And for a four, it's resting in solitude. So for me, getting alone, breathing was more about, can I be okay with being with myself? Mm. Not by myself, but can I be with myself? And so, um, so yeah, the breathing part that only once in a while, when I'm really focusing on the breathing, it is hard, but mm. when I'm not focusing so much on the breathing and I'm more focused on just, am I okay being with myself? That's been interesting. Um, and it's sometimes yes. And sometimes no, and I'm trying to pay attention to what emotions come. Cause that's where I'm going to tap in more easily. Yeah. So what emotions are coming to the surface for me when I'm sitting there with myself and can I figure out where they're landing in my body? So I'm trying to connect those more than anything. That is the thing I wanted to kind of ask you next. Mm. So we begin to feel what we're feeling in our body. And for a four, mm-hmm. that's going to be emotions, but also me, I, I was only on like the three minute today, uh, not today. I was on the three minute day. And I remember texting and saying, I just felt like some sadness behind my chest, like, like behind mm-hmm. my sternum, there was just like, almost like a grief. And I was, I had asked the Lord for the day, like, what am I feeling? What is my body remembering that I need to deal mm-hmm. with? You know? So yeah. I wanted to kind of get into that, like how our body holds emotion and feeling and what your thoughts are or experiences and memory. of that and memory. Oh, yeah. for memory sure. Emotions are tied. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of science to muscle memory. I mean, everybody knows the example of like riding a bike, right? You don't right. hop on a bike and sink in your brain about how you need to pedal the pedals and hold these things. I mean, you have the knowledge of it, but it's when you actually physically get on the bike and, and grip the things and find the balance point and, it, you know, embrace the wobbling that you learn how to ride a bike or any, um, any musician who plays an instrument or the the piano, you know, people will tell you, even if they haven't played a certain song on the piano for 20 years, they can sit back down and the muscle memory of that song is still in their hands. You know, oh my gosh, I can still play for Elise because I played it 250 times when I was 10 years old, you know? Um, so our body absolutely remembers those things and does have memory. And, um, there's even some science that shows that different emotions can reside in different places in the body. Um, in Eastern philosophy, oftentimes the hips can be referred to as the seat of the emotions. And so as you begin to do like stretches and openings to open your hips, it's not uncommon for people to have a a range of emotions. Um, also, you know, our, our chest cavity, we spend so much time hunched over our computers and our shoulders are forward that when we start to like put the shoulders on the back and open up that chest cavity, holy smokes, just changing that posture alone, um, can begin to open up like, Oh, what, what am I feeling now that my heart is open? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I've, I've lived the last two weeks, just totally hunched over and closed off. And so there's nothing can get through the breath is shallow and the physical posture of the body is clenched. So just as you begin to find those opening spaces, yes, it is very common to begin to notice what I'm feeling. Um, and not necessarily to be able to name it yet. I think that comes next. I think first it's like, whoa, I'm feeling something. What is it? Mm-hmm. Because we don't practice feeling. We don't practice naming our feeling, generally speaking. So yeah. just, uh, again, it starts with that noticing, that awareness. Um, and, and, and then that discovery process. Yeah. And so posturing your body is part of that because 
it opens mm-hmm. you up to new sensations. It absolutely, yeah. it absolutely is. I was actually going to ask Megan, when you do your, your practice, are you seated or do you lay down? What's the right answer? <laughs> well, I, I'm just curious what you've been doing. Like, how did I've you been, start? I've been sitting cross-legged on the floor. I am going to recommend that you lay down. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think for some people, it's just better to lay all the way down, right? Like, and feel the whole weight of your body, you know, like begin to feel the weight of your shoulders, the weight of your hips, the weight of your torso. You know, we hold a lot of tension in our joints even. So like your ankles and your wrists and just feel that the floor is supporting you and it's not going to let you go. And you're there with yourself and you're there with the Lord because he is our very breath. You know, I would just be curious to see if that um, affects your practice at all. All right. Just curious. (laughs) I'll report to you in Colorado how the last week of this went. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I remember being in dance classes where we spent a lot of time on the floor, feeling the connection to the ground and the way the different parts, like just the heaviness. I remember one of my teachers even talking about how your organs felt. Like, can Mm -hmm. you feel the way your stomach just settled in into like how gravity just kind of pulled it into that, or I don't know, just different parts or how one part like moves the other part just because it's connected, not because you meant to move your shoulder, but as you moved your hand, you know, it eventually pulls that way. And, Mm -hmm. um, it seems kind of weird, but at the same time, we, we, we were, our instrument of our body was only as good as we were connected to it. Mm -hmm. And our expression of artistry was only as good as we were open to it be able to experience and express. So now as, you know, coming back to my 20 year old self from that, I'm like, Oh, all of that had so much a part to play in both the artistry and the physical mechanics, even though it felt kind of like, we're not really working very hard. We're just laying on the ground. But when you could really settle into that and feel what your body was feeling and how it, the parts were relating to one another. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. Well, that comes back to what you said about we're not just heads on sticks, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're fully connected beings. But oftentimes I think the way that we notice it is by the disconnect. Where am I not connected? Yeah. Um, my husband um is a public speaker and he gives a talk on disintegration. So we all are familiar with the word integration, right? When everything comes together and it's beautiful harmony and it works, disintegration is it's dis, it's come apart, right? It's fallen apart. And oftentimes I think that's where we can see it first is where it's not integrated, where it's falling apart. (laughs) I think that's the biggest part of the journey as a Christian is to integrate all the parts because holiness, we kind of made it like a uh, um, list of the rules. length of your skirt and the way you wear your hair or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it was this list of rules rather than W H O L L Y holy Ooh, yes. integrated connected. And so doesn't that mean our body, mind, soul, spirit, like all of these things have to come into where they're not separate parts that we're dealing yes. with or not dealing with and repressing or suppressing or rejecting or yes. not loving, you know, just loving our bodies for what it does is a huge turning yes. point. Um, so I think that we need to kind of demystify some of this Christianese talk that we've all mm-hmm. grown up and experienced that actually became very much about separating parts of ourselves and only yeah. focusing on the one thing. Yeah. But if you only focus on one part, you're not wholly integrated. Yeah. And so I think that we have to reclaim some of these practices to be more intentional about our own journey, you know, with the Lord and with ourselves, yeah. with each other. I think my face is probably making a lot of like, you guys are really woo woo out there right now, um, <laughs> but 
but the listeners didn't know that I just totally uncovered myself. But honestly, if we're, I think we might've mentioned this last week, but if we're worshiping a triune God, then there's a reason he sent Jesus with a body. Like there's a reason Mm -hmm. that part of the Trinity has a body Mm -hmm. that is human, that we need to figure out how to integrate that into who we are. We're not just, you know, he could have just had the Holy Spirit come and, you know, inhabit among the people and whisper and do all those things, but he sent a body. And so I think there is lessons to be learned there that we just ignore completely. For sure. For sure. Spirit, body, it's beautiful. Creator. Um, I don't think he would have given, uh, I don't think there would be a statement like be holy because I am holy if it wasn't possible for us to at least try, try to be holy. Um, and that, if I'm not mistaken, that is maybe Peter saying that, but he was quoting Levitical law. So that's old and new covenant coming together there, you know, be holy. Um, and it does, it does definitely change the way we can look at it. If you if you use holy W H O L L Y, I kind of like mm-hmm. that. That's a fun little spin on that Deidre. Oh, and thanks. I mean, just as um, Christians too, you know, if, if this is the vessel that God gave us to give his message to the world, then it's pretty important vessel. <laughs> we we yeah. shouldn't despise it, <laughs> you know? You know, well, I think I did though. I think I grew up thinking I had to get it out of the way. Mm. Well, that's the thing. We're told our body is a temple, but we were told to like, so therefore don't ever touch it, leave it completely alone and pure. And, but that's not what a temple is used for. A temple was to invite people in to connect with God. So if we're not using our bodies as a, as a means of connecting with God, then we're not using it in the temple way. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Deep stuff, ladies. (laughs) We're going to go breathe in the mountains of Colorado together very soon. (laughs) can't wait. Nice, crispy, clean, cool air. Zero humidity. (laughs) That's that's my kind of breathing right there. But no, for real, I'm going to practice what you told me to do. Recall my inner singer lesson days. Breathe from my diaphragm, change my posture. I feel like this is all good stuff. It is. Well, and I'll lay down. (laughs) Yeah. Lay down, lay down, Megan. (laughs) All right, Meg, what's one final thought you want to leave with our listeners? Oh my goodness. I would say, um, first thing that came to mind is just start with something like the way Deidre and Megan both, um, started with 30 seconds. I mean, that seems like nothing. Right. And, um, but it, but it's something. (laughs) And so don't think, Oh, I can't incorporate this into my life. I don't have enough time for it. You can take 30 seconds. You can take one minute, you can take two minutes and just be still. I really think if you can start anywhere, start with stopping. (laughs) Maybe that's what the scripture, be still and know that I am God is all about because Mm. we don't just get quiet often enough to even Mm. sense his presence. So we're going to leave you with that. Get still and know the Lord. So good. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace, and you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.